I want to say it's really good to be with you all tonight. Strange, my wife and I were driving to Atlanta going up Jefferson Highway, went by Archer Grove Road, and we both were talking about Jim and Harriet. We hadn't seen them in forever, and we ran into them tonight, and it's just good to see them. Uh, there are good things that come out of Kentucky. I had to go there to find my wife, and uh, born raised in Kentucky, and we went to Western Kentucky University, and you know, it's, uh, it's a joy to be with you all. I'm, I'm glad somebody here can just yeah, stay with me. You know, as I was watching this video, I couldn't help but think about his statement. He had a cool job with NASA, but it wasn't the job God had for him. And you know, one of the most exciting things that I do as a trustee of the International Mission Board is support our missionaries around the world. That's the job of our trustees. We make sure that our missionaries are having their needs met, that they're being cared for, that we provide them with what they need to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And tonight I want to talk to you a little bit about it, but I want to get started first by just laying a biblical foundation for missions. You know, as I read through the Bible, not just the New Testament, the world was on God's heart from the very beginning. You cannot come to the scriptures and not discover that the world was on God's heart. And you say, how do you know that the world was on God's heart? Well, in the New Testament, it's easy. The Father, the Bible says, God, the Father, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him would never perish but have everlasting life. In 1 John, John wrote these words. He said, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us. Listen to this, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might be saved through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You know, I think about the son. The Bible says Jesus quoted these words. He said, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus said in his earthly ministry, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came with a lost world on his heart. And we need to understand that even the Holy Spirit in John 16 in the upper room, Jesus told the disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Father and I are going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he is going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, of everything that is to come. And Jesus, you remember, said so clearly that we must be born again of the Spirit and water. And so we see that God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all had the world on their heart. And beginning in Genesis, you remember right after uh, uh, Abraham uh, offered his son, he was right at the point of taking Isaac's life when God intervened. In the next verses, the Bible tells us that God said to Abraham, because you have been obedient, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And as you come through the scriptures, we begin to realize with the prophetic utterances that God gave to us concerning the Messiah, the Savior that would come. We begin to realize in our minds and our hearts that when the world was filled with sin, God had this world on his heart. And so my question to us tonight, I guess, as I'm here to really speak to you just very briefly, is what do we have on our heart? Do we have on our heart what God has on his heart? And what's on God's heart is the lostness of men, men who are separated from him, men that God loves, men that God sent his only son into the world to die for, to be raised so that they could be forgiven and have life. 
Have you ever considered in your own mind and heart, can we develop the very heart of God? You know, as I read through uh, so many who, who've spoken about missions, I sometimes think of people like, for example, Spurgeon, who said that the lostness of the world has to be on our heart. Hudson Taylor even made the, 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 the statement, the Great Commission is not an option. It, it, is, it is a command to be obeyed. Hudson Taylor, one of the great missionaries who had the world on his heart, who had the heart of God, said it, it's not just an option with us as a people, as an individual, as a church, as the great Southern Baptist Convention. We have no option but to obey God in taking the gospel to the world. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm amazed. I look at Matthew. Matthew had to close out his book with something that we all know. And he said, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. And listen to what he says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I like it. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He said, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And you say, oh, I know all about that. I've heard that all my life. The problem is we get numb to the truth of Scripture because we sit Sunday after Sunday, week after week, and hear the Word of God. And somehow we grow numb to the truth of what Jesus just said there. Jesus said, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. And he said, I'm telling you, this is not an option for you as the people of God. You must go to all the world. For example, in the book of Mark, he said, go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. You realize in Luke, he said this, as thus it is written, it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Most of us remember when in the book of Acts, as Luke opened that chapter, he talked about the ascension of Jesus into heaven. And what were some of the last words that Jesus gave to his church while he was here on earth? You remember he said, hey, you're to tarry in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you shall be my witnesses. And where did he say? In Jerusalem, in Samaria, Judea, to the uttermost part of the world. You know, the last words that a person says can be very, very important. We just watched, for example, some of the funeral today of uh, President Bush. And you know, one of the last words that he said to his son was, I love you. It was important. That'll stay with Bush 43 for the rest of his life. The last words that we shared, I love you. Think about the last words of Jesus. He said, I've got an assignment for you. And the assignment is to get the gospel to the world. 1845, 16 years before the Civil War started, a group of Baptists met together and the Southern Baptist Convention was formed. And the glue that held us together is the Great Commission, that we would join our hearts together to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ at home and abroad. And most of us can remember that uh, in the 1800s, there was a little lady by the name of Lottie Moon. And most of us don't really know this, but she was only about this tall. She was a single woman, never married, gave her life to Christ, gave her life to the spread of the gospel. She wrote letter after letter after letter back home to the state, said, we need missionaries, we need funds, we need to get the gospel to the people. In 1912, on a ship in a harbor in Japan, Lottie Moon went home to be with Jesus. And you know, out of that came eventually what we call today the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. 
And you know, sometimes we think about that offering. I know we live in a time now when many people have never heard of Lottie Moon. You know, people get the idea, will she ever get well? We keep taking money up for her. You think she's going to die soon or something? But you know, Lottie Moon had the heartbeat of God. And the heartbeat of God was that people could hear the gospel and have the opportunity to respond and to be saved. Have you ever considered this? People really are lost. People are really lost in this world. People live in darkness. And listen, there are people around this church. There are people in this county. There are people in the counties around us. They're just as lost as a person in Nepal who's never heard the gospel if they have rejected Christ. They're in darkness. They're separated from God because of their sin. They have no hope for eternity except to be separated from God forever. But why has God put the heart on uh, us on his heart? Listen to this carefully. You know, when we get a glimpse of heaven, I love this. When the four and twenty elders and those begin to fall before the Lord and give him praise, listen to what they sing. They sing, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Did you hear what they're singing? Out of every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. Do you know tonight there are 3,200 unreached people groups that are not engaged? They've never heard the name of Jesus. They don't have access to the gospel. They do not have access to the truth of salvation and the Bible tells us Jesus' command to us as individually and to the church is that we go and we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, as I look around the world, I realize that the lostness is so great. It's hard for me to believe that there are a billion more people in China than there are in the United States of America. There are a billion more people in the country of India than there are in the United States of America. And what I would share with you tonight is this. The need is great. I can't even begin to express how great the need is. I'm going to do something, I'll deviate just a little bit. A few years ago with a new president, we had to do something that was unpleasant to every trustee. And I pray to every Southern Baptist that sits in a pew on Sunday and hears the word of God. We had to bring missionaries home. We had a VRI, a Voluntary Retirement Initiative. Over 1,100 came home from the field. Listen, my heart was so heavy and so burdened. We lost 40% of our missionaries in Russia. And Russia is a lost, godless nation. We lost 40% of them. And you know, as I thought about what was happening around the world, many of our mature missionaries, people who had been on the field for 20, 25, 30 years that God was using so mightily, they came home. And let me tell you, it was necessary. We were essentially overextended to the point of danger. If we had not offered the VRI, it would have only been a few years. We would have had to select those that we were going to bring home. We were in a financial crisis. I want to tell you today, we are not in a financial crisis at this particular point. We are supporting the missionaries that we have with the money that comes from the cooperative program 
And thank you for what you give to the cooperative program. A portion of that goes to the foreign mission field and to the support of the RVA, the Richmond, Virginia offices. But I want you to know this. 100% of what we give to Lottie Moon goes to the field to support 3,700 missionaries out there on the field sharing the gospel. A few years ago, a little couple that I met up at uh, ILC at, uh, in Richmond, Virginia, where the, they go for their final training before they go to the field, riding the bus to the airport, we were got to talking and fellowshipping. And, and I said to this young man and his wife, I said, why don't you come to our church in December before you leave? And they were going to a country that is almost totally Buddhist, that has now passed a law that anybody that converts somebody is guilty of breaking the law and can be imprisoned. And they felt God's call. They went with two little babies to a country where most people wouldn't even go to visit unless they were going to go trekking in the mountains. And they took those two little children and they went to this country. They weren't there any time at all till there was a major earthquake. They and their children were sleeping in a tent in the square in front of the hotel with their little children because their apartment was not considered safe because of this. This young man and his wife have planted their lives in that country to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has a trekking ministry, taking people into the mountains, and here's the key. In fact, next year we're going to be taking some of our college students and young men into that country to go up into that mountains and to go to the villages. And while we're trekking in the mountains, we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. A team recently was there. They saw 16 people in a village come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And that's how God is working. We have, a, we have a young man that went into a country, had to have a business, so he opened a chocolate shop right in town. And at night, he has Bible studies in his chocolate shop, and he's beginning a church that will eventually meet inside of his chocolate shop. There's no other way to get in that country except to have a job and a work visa to be able to be able to plant the gospel in that country. We had a young couple recently that we sent out, and I'm telling you, it was so exciting. This husband and wife, they were a doctor team, and they're going to a place in Africa that is over 95% Muslim. And they're working in a place that is hours and hours from the nearest help of any kind. But they have felt God's call and they're going. You know, as I have read over these last four years, the testimonies of these young couples and these singles that are going out to serve, there's something that kind of runs as a theme through the whole thing, which is kind of amazing to me. Uh, if, you, if you read their testimonies time and time again, here's what happens. First of all, they're in a church. Their parents most of the time are saved. We have people going whose parents aren't saved. But most of the time, parents are saved. And parents are approving of them going to the mission field. And they will testify time after time. The first place we heard the gospel was in the church that our parents took us to. And at home when the parents would read the scriptures and pray with us. But time after time, these couples will say, my mom led me to Christ after a church service. My father led me to the Lord after a service. Let me tell you something. We must keep young people and children exposed to the gospel while they're young. Come to Christ while they're young. Now, some of them don't come to Christ until they get into college. But I would be willing to say that 90% of the people that we've dealt with have been in church, raised in the church. They've heard the gospel. They were involved in a youth group. They were involved in ministry. And get this, they started going on mission trips when they were in high school. 
Let me tell you, one of the things you can do for your young people, teach them the Word of God, teach them what it means to walk in the Spirit, teach them what it means to serve others, and by all means, get them out there on a mission field somewhere that if even if they don't go back to the mission field, they can get missions on their heart, and it'll be on their heart the rest of their life. Let me encourage you in this. Many of them, when they got into college, were a member of uh, the Baptist campus ministry. Many of them were involved in, in different ministries that, uh, in their church, and time after time, they would go on a mission trip. They'd go on a mission trip. And this was their testimony. It's amazing. They're all different backgrounds, all different states and places. But it's amazing how they said, while on a mission trip, God spoke to my heart. And I knew that God wanted me to go back to the mission field. And they came home and they prepared. My niece was in Japan for two years on the journeyman program. She came back home, went to seminary. She's in India at this time coming home for the Christmas holidays. I don't know whether she'll go back, but she's been over in, in India working and serving and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what happens when they get that call of God. For the long-termers, seminary is important. It's a must. But get this now. They're willing to go to seminary and prepare themselves and go out. Now, here is the key. The church is the sending agent. And you as a church need to pray that in your congregation, God will call out young people. God will call out singles and married couples, couples with children. And let me tell you, it's not an easy task. We've had three sending services since June. In June, we sent 62 new missionaries out. In September, we sent 66 new missionaries out. And just in past November, we sent 42 more missionaries out. For some of those missionaries, we had to black out their faces because the countries that they are going to, by the way, they don't even use their real names. The countries that they are going to are countries where we will meet great resistance against the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of those countries are Muslim countries, 98, 99% Muslim. We have a couple from our church that are in, the Le in Lebanon. I guess I could be sorry for me to say that. They're in Lebanon, and they're working with refugees. They are seeing Muslims come to Christ week after week after week in that part of the world. It's unbelievable what God wants to do. God wants the nations to hear. God wants these unreached people groups to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my call to you tonight is this. May God give you a heart like God, a heart for the lost, a heart for the nations, a heart for these unreached people groups. They're there, and God says, I'm ready to work among them if we'll just have people who will hear my call and respond and go. You know, I think we're doing it the biblical way. You remember when the Apostle Paul was saved on the road to Damascus? Man, when he was converted, God just, God just leveled him. I mean, put him flat on his face. And you remember his words? I used to have a card over my sun visor when I was a teenager, and it said, Lord, what would you have me to do? And that's what Paul said that day on the road to Damascus. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Not what do I want to do? What do I want to accomplish? What do I want to achieve? Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Paul was blind from getting a glimpse of the glory of Christ. Ananias was sent to his house and said, Ananias, you go down there to his house. You tell him something from me. And I said, I'm not going down there. Are you kidding? That guy's killing Christians and destroying the church. He's against everything we stand for. God, you got to be kidding. He said, hey, you just go do it because Paul is my servant. And when he went to the house, he told him, he said, hey, God has called you, and you're going to preach to kings and Gentiles 
and every kind of person you can think of, and you're going to suffer persecution, you're going to know how tough it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You have been persecuting, you will now be persecuted for the sake of the gospel. Scales fell from his eyes, and the Bible says he boldly began to refute with the people there in Damascus about Jesus being the Son of God, being the Messiah. And you remember it got so bad in that town that they, they, they finally just had to let him down the basket and he went to Jerusalem. He continued to preach boldly the gospel. Well, he went away for three years for his training. God taught him, gave him an understanding of the truth of the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. And God, as God began to speak to his heart, he got involved with the church that was at Antioch. And if you go, it's interesting, if you go to the book of Acts, the Bible says that, the, that those were the leaders in the church began to pray together and fast together. And the Holy Spirit said, you separate Paul and Barnabas for me, there to go. And man, what did they do? The Bible says they laid hands on them, prayed over them. The Holy Spirit led them out. And what's the story? Paul was one of the greatest missionaries that ever lived. He heard God's call after he was converted and was obedient to the call of God in his life. Now out there in the field, what did he do? The same thing that we're attempting to do today. I want you to listen very carefully to this. How do we go into an unreached people group? How do we go into a country where they're not as open to the gospel? How do we do this? Well, there's, there's some words that I want you to take with you tonight. First of all is entrance. If you read the book of Acts, Paul first entered into a city. He entered into a region. He entered into a place. And what did he do? He began to evangelize, to share the gospel, to preach the gospel. So what we do with our missionaries is they go into an area, they enter in there, it's called entrance. They begin to learn the culture, they begin to learn the language, they begin to understand the gospel can reach these people and here's the way we're going to have to do it. But then they begin to evangelize as they enter into that culture and get, begin to learn that language and those people, they, they evangelize. And when people come to know Jesus Christ, they begin to disciple those people. One by one, in a group, a small house, wherever they can, they begin to disciple that people and their people and to train them. And they begin to show them what they need to do. And then what they do is they have a foundation of a church. We have churches that meet in houses and businesses and buildings. It's amazing how all over this world, God's planting churches. That's what Paul did. Take your New Testament. Where did he write his letters to? He wasn't writing to just a bunch of Christians that decided to get together. There was a church in Corinth. There were churches in Galatia. There was a church at Philippi. There was a church at Ephesus. There was a church at Thessalonica. There were churches there. That's what Paul was busy about doing. Going in, evangelizing, discipling, teaching them the truth of God. And then what did he do? He planted churches there. And all of his letters almost that Paul wrote were back to church, a church or churches that he helped to start and to plant. And the people there that were discipled, they went out and began to plant churches. And so our goal then is to do leadership. We train people to do leadership. And we, once the leadership of the church is strong enough and they have someone who can teach the word of God, act as a pastor and leaders in the church, what do we do? We exit. And we go somewhere else and we find some other place where we can go and plant the gospel of Jesus Christ, share it, see people come to Christ, disciple them. Then what do we do? We have the foundation of a church, develop that leadership, and away we go. And that's the plan that we have. It's a biblical plan of planting churches around the world. 
I recently was at the uh, ILC, the trustee meeting in November, and one of the men there that I'm close with, a retired missionary, said to me, just recently I attended a meeting in, near Asia, in Asia, and he didn't tell me exactly where it was. He said there were 40 organizations that met together that do work all around the world, and they have meetings periodically. And he said, I went to that meeting, and he said, did you know that out of the 40 organizations that are there, there were only three that had as their priority the sharing of Jesus Christ and the planting of churches in the world. The others were wrapped up in social work. And they were at good things. But let me tell you something. And I hope you understand how I'm saying this. I'm not trying to be argumentative. You can put clothes on a man and feed him in his stomach, but if you don't share the gospel with him, he'll go to hell just as quick as if you'd never done that for him. People need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's on God's heart. That's what God wants us to do as individuals, as a church. And so what I would like to share with you tonight is simply this in close, because I know you may have some questions. I'd love to try to answer them. But you know, our 3,700 missionaries on the field, we're still short of where we were. We lost over 1,100 missionaries in three years. But today we're financially stable, we're able to support those missionaries, and we're able to do what God has called us to do, and we are sending missionaries like never before. The pipeline is open. If you hear that we're not sending missionaries, that is not true. We are sending missionaries every three months through our sending services, but listen to this. When those couples stand up and share a word of testimony about where they're going and how God called them, they name the church that they're from because it is the church that sends and the IMB is a ministry of Southern Baptist churches that helps them get to the field and make sure that their needs are met while they're there. One church like this could not send probably 10 missionary couples to the field. You couldn't afford it. There'd be no way. But 47,000 Southern Baptist churches all giving and praying together can send all those missionaries out there on the field. It's exciting to me to see we, month after month those, these young people that God is calling. And just remember this. Please remember this. The IMB is not a separate organization. We are a ministry of the Southern Baptist Convention. We're a part of 47,000 churches. That's why we have the trustees that we do. We have 75 trustees. You have six trustees representing you from Georgia. And I want to thank you for the privilege of serving on, on the trustee board with, with uh, IMB. It's been an eye-opening, wonderful experience. My word is, I wished every Southern Baptist could serve four years on the I, as an IMB trustee. You know what would happen? Our churches would be revolutionized about praying and giving and going. I guarantee you, because it'll open your eyes to what God is doing around the world. We sit isolated sometimes at our churches. We don't hear all that God's doing. But I want to tell you this, we are excited about what the Lord wants to do in the years to come. And we are asking God to do great things. Now let me just mention a couple of things and I'm going to see if you have any questions. I'm not really preaching tonight, so I uh, hope that you can understand that. We, um, we need to do several things as Christians. And the first one, you're going to say, oh, I've heard that. I know that. We need to pray. 
I heard your pastor mention a few moments ago about the prayer sheets that you get. Did you know that you can get on, how many of you get on Facebook? Any of you get on Facebook? Any of you all ever uh, uh, look around at Instagram? Any of you all ever do Instagram? Maybe, are any of you already getting with the IMB on Instagram and Facebook? Did you know that every day you can get prayer requests that are just as fresh and as new as they came to us through our office? You can, if you want to pray, there are ways for you to pray. And you know, one of the great needs, I, I, we've never had a missionary couple that ever said anything except the first thing we need more than anything is for you to pray for us. Now, I want to ask a question. How do you pray, for, how do you pray about missionaries? Well, the first thing is you pray for laborers. That was what Jesus taught us. Didn't Jesus say the fields are white already unto harvest? Pray therefore that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers to the field. Now let me tell you something. It's dangerous to really begin to pray for laborers. You may be a young couple here with a couple of young children. And one day God may call you. You're praying. God sends somebody. God says, I'm sending you. How will you respond? Every time I'm at a sending service, I see grandparents there and parents there. And when we gather around them to lay hands on them, I see the tears running down the eyes of parents and grandparents knowing our kids are about to take our little baby grandchildren to the other side of the world and in places that we cannot imagine. And I stand there looking at them and realize they pay a price as well. But to pray for God to send forth laborers unto the field. And let me tell you, right here in the church, as you expose your kids to the truth of Scripture, as you get them involved in serving others, as you get them involved in going on mission trips, pray that God will open their eyes and give them a burden, give them a call to go. And you know, as I think about praying for them, I think we need to pray for those that are on the field. That's why these prayer sheets and that's why Instagram and all of these things are important to you, to be praying for missionaries. We have cards that, you know, the missionaries come to your church. Well, at the ILC, we get hundreds. I got tons of them. And my wife and I, when we have our devotionals in the morning, we take one card and we pray for that couple. And many times they got three and four children. Just recently, one of the couples from our church in India had their second baby born over in India. Grandparents are here. Parents are here. Their kids are on the field because God called them and they prepared and they've gone. We need to pray for them. Pray for them. How do you pray for a missionary? Well, you pray for them to be bold. I used to pray for their protection. I don't do that as much anymore. I pray more for them to be bold with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share with boldness what Jesus has done for that lost person that needs to hear. But for boldness, you pray for their families. Listen, the enemy will attack those families. They're there on the front lines sharing the gospel in places where many times they're not welcome by the government, by the culture, by the people, or anybody else. They're not welcome. But they're there with the gospel because the gospel has the power to change lives and to, and to bring people from darkness into light. But pray for their families. Pray for their health, that God will keep them well. Man, it is amazing. It is amazing what they face in some of these third world countries and, and the things that they have to go through. You just saw the video clip up here where they have dysentery, malaria, they, AIDS, HIV, and many times these families are exposed to that. Have you thought about praying for their language study? I'm going to tell you something tonight. 
talking with a career missionary from Asia. You know what he said to me? A missionary must be on the field seven years before they have learned the language well enough to really be able to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Seven years. He worked in Southeast Asia. He said, we had words, one word, that if there's seven different tones and the tone that you used made that word mean entirely something different. He said, I'm telling you, you got to be there and you got to stick it out. That's why the call of God is so important in that. But pray for these missionaries and their language studies. And, you know, just, just pray for them as they have spiritual warfare. Pray that they'll be spirit-filled. Pray that they'll love people, that the love of Christ will just shine down through them and, and God will use them. They're people just like us. They get up in the morning like us. They face a day just like us, except it's totally different in the culture, maybe where they live and the culture that we're used to here and that we're so acclimated to. And let me just give you another thing real quickly. Pray for the nations. 1.3 billion people in India. Did you know they worship 3 million different gods? They have over 3 million gods in India. Every kind of spirit and God that we can imagine, they worship. They're in darkness. China, 1.3 billion people. Did you know we have people in places tonight serving God, that God has opened a door of opportunity and they've stepped through that door of opportunity and they're taking it. You think about the nations of the world, the Middle East. Did you know that every day Muslims are coming to Christ? And men, listen to this, Muslim men are being baptized on profession of their faith and taking their stand for Christ in a world that says if you convert from our Islamic faith, you will be ostracized, you will be hated, and you could be put to death. And there are men who are literally giving their hearts in faith to Jesus Christ. Our missionaries are on the front lines fighting this and seeing this go through. Second thing is we can give. We gotta, we've got to understand that it takes funds to send them. Now, how many of you got any requests for funds or for giving uh, in the mail this month already? On an average, my wife and I get 30 requests a month for giving to organizations. Are you listening to me? On an average. We didn't get mail today, but we've already had four this week. And some of them are good causes. I can't, I can't condemn that. They're good causes. But I tell you something, I want to know where my money's going. When I give money to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, I know that 100% of it is going to the support of 3,700 missionaries out there on the field who are on the front lines to take the gospel where it's darkness and not light. Pray about what you give. I'm going to tell you what I told our church for 43 years. Isn't it strange that at Christmas, we talk about all the giving and the gifts. Who ought to get the best gift at Christmas? Who ought to be the one that you give the most to? The one whose birthday we celebrate, Jesus. And what's on Jesus' heart? A lost world, a world that's in darkness. And I challenge you this year to pray about what God would have you to give. 
And you know, sometimes when we start praying, God puts a figure on our mind and heart. And you know what? We'll argue with God a little bit about it. Lord, it's just too much. You know, it's a little bit too much. Let me just challenge you to do something. Make your best gift this year to Christ and consider doing it through your Lottie Moon Christmas offering right here in your church. 47,000 churches. Over 14 million Southern Baptists. I'm almost ashamed to say this. Our goal is $160 million. That averages out to a little over $10 a person in the Southern Baptist Convention. You ever think what would happen? We have people ready to go, willing to go, preparing to go, and we must have the funds to send them. I'm not making it up. We've got people in the pipeline now, ready to go. We need to support them. We don't need to just pray. We need to give and give sacrificially. And let me mention one last thing. Be willing to go. Uh, I have a little brochure here that I hope some of you will pick up. Uh, they're down here. They're free. Your pastor wanted me to charge you for them so we could go out to eat afterwards, but they're free from the I am. He already didn't do that. But every church and every nation, let me tell you what, it tells you how to be engaged, how to go. If your church has a mission trip, let me, let me challenge you something. If your pastor and the staff and the church goes on a mission trip, don't make excuses why you can't go. I'm serious. Don't make excuses why you can't go. Find some reason why you can go. I remember years ago, I guess Brad wouldn't mind me mentioning this. I'm going to mention it. Uh, Brad Akins, who's a close friend of mine, owns a dealership over in Winder. A good friend of his, deacon in our church, Rick Britton, challenged him to go to Romania with us on a mission trip. At the last minute, Brad Akins wanted to back out of going to Romania. He was finding every excuse in the, under the sun. You know, he's a man with 2,000 automobiles on his lot over there, and, you know, he's got employees, and he can't be gone for 10 days. And, you know, we've all heard it. I've heard it all my life. But anyway, we kind of shamed him into going to Romania because we knew it was God's will. He didn't know as fully as we did it was God's will, but we knew it was God's will. And uh, we got him to Romania and to the little town we worked with for about 12 years, helping him plant churches. And he disappeared. One of the Romanian guys who couldn't speak English and he couldn't speak Romanian disappeared with him in the car. We didn't see him for a week I thought he may be dead. You know, if somebody may have just killed him out there, we didn't know. Well, he came back at the end of a week, and he had been showing Jesus films in villages. He had been visiting at home, sharing his testimony. He had been praying for people that were sick and had needs, and he just was loving on people. Well, I had to come back early to the States. Brad had to come back early to the States. So we shared a, ho a hotel room before we caught the plane the next morning uh, in Budapest. And uh, I'll never forget, I like to never got sleep. I was so tired, man. I'd been preaching at seminary and going. And I was so tired. I wanted to tell Brad, Brad, tell me in the morning. This man kept me up half the night sharing what God did in these villages and in people's lives and just seeing things happen. I found out he didn't have any clothes but the clothes on his back. He had given all of his clothes away to people who didn't have 
one-tenth of what he would ever. I mean, he would just get, I, I told him, I said, you don't have anything in your suit? He said, no. He said, I just gave everything away. I figured they needed my coat, my shirt, my pants more than I needed it. While he was there, he got a burden on his heart for this little town of Jabo and for the children. The next year, he went back without us, but with his church out of Winder. I want you to hear this. This is just a, a man who owns a business, lives a business. He's a Christian. 400 children came to the summer camp that week. And to this day, every summer, there are over 400 children going to a camp where they hear about Jesus, where they're ministered to, and where God works in their lives and they're seeing kids come to Christ. One layman went on a mission trip, God opened his eyes, and he was able to help start a ministry that today is ministering to 400 children every summer. You don't know what God can do with your life if you're available to God. You don't know what God can do to open your eyes, to either call you or maybe let you send others back. Let me just tell you, there are opportunities out there, all kinds of opportunities. You can read about them in here. They're short-term, two months or less. Sometimes with your church, sometimes with the IMB, to go somewhere and work. Your church goes where? South America? And, and laborers and ministers right here at home, there are places to go. But listen to this. You can go for two months to three years. Journeyman programs, different things that are available, tell you about that. We also have a brochure that says, hey, you want to know how to get to the field? This will tell you how you can get to the field. But listen carefully to me. We have career missionaries that are desperately needed on the field. That's three years and longer. Seven years to learn the language in some countries. Difficult languages. But the door is open at this moment and may not be open tomorrow. 3,200 unreached, unengaged people groups in the world that need to hear about Jesus. Maybe God could call somebody in this room tonight. God may lay it on your heart to give your best gift you've ever given to Lottie Moon to support the ones that are out there. But above all, you can pray. And you can sit right here in, in Athens, Georgia, and God hears the prayer and his hands move in a world, half, half a world away, God will move and will work. So my challenge to us really here tonight is this. Pray, give, go. Just very simple. I'm a simple person. Pray, give, and go. And you'll be surprised what God can do when you make yourself totally available to him. People, the IMB is healthy. People are being called out. People are being sent. God is at work. And I'm just privileged to have a little part in that. And so on behalf of the International Mission Board tonight, I want to thank you for giving to the cooperative program and to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We can't exist without those funds and getting people to the world. May God help you this year as you pray about what you're going to give and as you pray about getting involved in prayer with all of this. I hope that you will and trust that God will move on your heart during this Christmas season to have on your heart, listen to me, have on your heart what God has on his heart. Think about it. The last words of Jesus I want to share with you are these. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. We want to fulfill why he came, that people might be able to enter the kingdom of God.
God bless you for being here tonight. Let me just see if there are any questions. Uh, there might be some about our new president. I'd be glad to address that, having served on it. By the way, let me say this. Through the years, God has blessed me with being pastors of churches for 55 years. I pastored 55 years now and started in college when I was in college and uh, pastored a little country church and worked in a shoe store and got my, my, my uh, college degree. Pastored while I was in seminary. And, uh, you know, I, I would take nothing for being a pastor. That was God's call in my life. It was the highest call. I never dreamed that God would give me the privilege of sharing the gospel and preaching and discipling for 55 years. Uh, I've had the privilege to serve on the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention for eight years. I've had the privilege of being a vice president of Georgia Baptist and president of the convention for two years. I've had all these different opportunities. The greatest opportunity that has blessed my life, and I can't even begin to describe it, is serving as a trustee of the IMV. I want to just tell you, I'm blessed to be a part of what God's doing. And if, when you pray and you give and you go, you're a part too of what God's doing to reach lost people and to see people come into the kingdom of God. God bless you. If we got any questions, we'll take them, and I'll be glad to try to answer them. Let me ask you, if you're in our music ministry, you may need, to, you go. need to go to the mall, you feel free to take them. Yeah, slip okay. out. Good. Hey, we, we won't Lord. say that you don't love missions. We, we know you do. Just go get, go get your rehearsal <laughs> That's done. That's right. Go get That's your rehearsal right. done. Yeah. Hey, before we take a question, I think the Lord deserves a clap offering, don't you? Isn't this great? Praise the Lord for that. Praying for y'all as you minister at the mall, too. Praise Good. the Lord, man. Yeah. I'm excited for y'all doing They're that. going public with it. Praise the they Lord, are. yeah. Great. Okay, are there any questions? Any questions at all? Brother Bill, uh, I've got one, as some are thinking of some. Uh, tell us why you're excited uh, that Paul Chitwood is going to the uh, IMB as our next president. Let me, let me just share. I kind of have to preface this a little bit. Um, for those of you here, you know that for the last four years, David Platt has been the president of the International Mission Board. And uh, God brought David Platt to the International Mission Board to do several things. Um, would you pick up on the foundation books there? David Platt did three things that were absolutely essential with the International Mission Board. Number one... He gave us a biblical perspective of missions, moving from Scripture to what we do on the field. Number two, he gave us, along with the others with him, the foundations. This is a cooperative work among our leadership, but the foundations which express to every organization exactly what we're about. And the third thing is he got us fiscally responsible. In other words, he got our, our money house in order. Uh, back about a year ago, uh, David was called to McLean Church to be the teaching pastor, and I know David personally. He was with our, uh, with our Baptist campus ministry when he was here at the University of Georgia. Sweet, precious man of God, one of the greatest preachers I've ever heard. But he felt that God was calling him to McLean to be a part of the staff there to be the teaching pastor. McLean's got a membership of about 13,000 members. Uh, it's a church that's reaching out around the world, and he's challenging them. So he asked that we would begin to search for someone to take the place at IMB. Here's the problem. In the last 10 years, we've had three presidents. 
That does not build stability in a ministry or an organization. You just cannot have that many leaders with, with, with 3,700 missionaries and at one time over 4,200. So uh, I was asked, along with 14 other members, to serve on a presidential search team. And we, uh, I can't tell you, we, we, we uh, spent months just laying groundwork looking for the person that God wanted us to have. Uh, we had a number of candidates, and God led us, and this is unusual. You know, most of the time, you get three Baptists in a room, you got four opinions. But 14 of us, one member had to withdraw, but uh, 14 of us were unanimous that Paul Chitwood was the one that God designed to come and lead the International Mission Board. We recently, in November, met with the entire trustee board, and here again is another miracle of God. It was a unanimous vote. It was a secret vote. It was unanimous that Paul Chit would come and lead us. Paul is a young man who's been a pastor of four different churches. He teaches at Southern Seminary Evangelism and Missions. He uh, is a young man with a family. He's actually adopting a child in Kentucky now. He can't actually move to Virginia for a new residency until the adoption goes through because Kentucky forbids that. So he's having to kind of remain with his house in Kentucky until the child is adopted next week, fully adopted, and he'll be able to move then to Virginia. Paul is executive director of the uh, Kentucky Baptist Convention, has done tremendous work there. And let me say this, he is an inerritist. He believes in the inerrancy of Scripture. He believes in the lostness of people without Jesus. He believes in the call of missions. He believes in the sending. And he is a church man. He has worked very closely with our, all of our state conventions. He knows all the execs throughout our convention. And he is a man that has a heart for God. He's a very humble man. Uh, he's not... Uh, he, he, I just I fell in love with Paul as we interviewed him and talked with him and his wife and his family. They're just precious family. Uh, but the IMB unanimously elected him to lead us. And he's already begun. He's going back and forth from Virginia to home until the child gets adopted. And, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing as I talk with him because we, we were looking at s several people. And God brought us to him as a body. He's strong cooperative program and Lottie Moon. His four churches he pastored, the average giving was 18% of their income to the cooperative program, 18%. That was the average of his last four churches. So we're just thankful that God's put a man in there. He's got on his heart the world and, and missions. And uh, I tell you, I think our convention is looking for somebody that can last a while. We cannot have somebody that's just here for two or three years. We need somebody that can last for 10 to 15, 20 years. And we believe he's God's man to do that. Any other questions? Before I ask the question, I am just excited that the IMB supports our missionaries so they don't have to raise their support. Uh, freeze them up to really prepare instead of doing that. I think that's a, a real plus. Um, my question is, uh, how many countries are we in, and how do we determine which countries we go into? Okay, let me say that, uh, and that's great questions. Let me do say this, and, and I can share with you all night because I, I love what I'm doing, but uh, we, have, we give tremendous support to our missionaries on the field. 
Independent missionaries, when the economy changes or things fluctuate in the world, have to come home and raise their funds. We keep a missionary on the field so they can keep to the task that God's called them to do. Secondly, let me just say that when there are emergencies, we get those off the field into whatever medical care they need or whatever. Recently, we had a couple here. They had, several, they had two daughters, missionaries in Italy. Uh, his wife was killed in an automobile accident. I wish you could know how the International Mission Board took care of this man and his daughters. Uh, we told him he did not have to rush to, to make a determination, do you want to go back without your wife with just your young daughters? To the field, we will support you for one year until God shows you clearly, until you can emotionally deal with the loss of your wife and they with the loss of their mother. Today, that man is back on the field. The accident happened several years ago. The man felt led before the year was out to take his daughters, go back to Italy. They've been there serving and ministering, sharing the gospel. And just recently, he met a full-term missionary lady there, and they got married about a week and a half ago. And she's also going to serve in Italy with them as a full-time career missionary. We take care of our missionaries. When they have medical needs, whenever the need, we take care of them. And that's the trustee's responsibility. We are there to take care of those missionaries and make sure that they're provided for and their needs are met. But I, I will go on. I think the second part of kind of your question uh, dealt with, remind me again, the countries. We're in about a, we're a little over 120 countries. Some of the countries I cannot tell you where we are, just for security reasons. But we're in over 120 countries, 3,700 missionaries. And we changed our philosophy back a number of years ago, before I ever came on the board. We used to target countries. Now we target people groups. For example, uh, I, I have the privilege of being chairman of the European Affinity Group. By the way, did you know that there are so many lost people in, in, in Europe? Europe is one of the lost places in the world. Uh, it, you, it's hard to believe. You know, the Reformation, all the things that took place, England, the beginning of the modern mission movement. But Europe is lost. And the influx of immigrants now have really expanded the field of sharing the gospel. But for example, the European Affinity Group ministers not just in Europe, but in Canada and Australia. We have eight affinity groups. One of them is deaf ministry. We do have deaf ministry in the, in the world. There are hundreds of thousands of deaf people who've never heard the gospel because they can't hear. They've never read the gospel because there's nothing that, that they can connect with. We need to understand that by targeting affinity groups, we go wherever in the world are these groups of people. We do people groups. For example, Southeast Asia, Asia, South Asia, the Americas, which would be all of South America and Central America. The European Affinity Group works with the Europeans who have moved to Canada. Did you know that one of the largest groups of Japanese outside of Japan is in Peru? We have missionaries that have worked with the Japanese in Peru. They're called the Nikkei. They went there as business people. They live in a group. They still speak Japanese as well as Spanish, and they tend to keep to themselves, but they're lost. And so a part of our ministry to Japan and those countries is to minister to people in Peru who are lost, but we target the people groups. And like I said a while ago, there are 3,200 people groups that we still have not touched that are unengaged and un unreached. And so you can go into a country, and there can be a couple of different people groups so we can find people working with European affinity in Canada or we can be in Australia. 
uh, in different places where the Europeans have migrated, moved to, and they still retain a European identity. And uh, we have missionaries in Germany, uh, just about everywhere. Uh, I will tell you this, and some you can pray about, with the immigration problems that they're having, for example, in Europe, they're making it harder and harder sometimes for our missionaries to get visas and to remain in the countries. Uh, what they do in Russia, uh, they're so kind in Russia. They'll tell a husband, uh, we cannot renew your visa, but we'll renew your wife's visa and your little children's visa, but you, we can't renew your visa. So what does that do to our ministry there? It can effectively take us out of that particular region where we're working. And uh, so we just, we target people now, and we're in about 120 different countries working with over 120 people groups, different places. Okay? Here, um, when we have prayed for missionaries, we have, uh, I've alerted them to the secure nature. We don't share their names sometimes or the countries. There are several security levels, as I understand it. There's level three and two and one. Three is the most dangerous. Right. And then two is dangerous. But and we have some level. people in three. Yeah. Do you know the percentages of our mission? No, I do not. I have to at be honest, time, I do not know. At one time, I thought that 60% were at level three. We um, do, I do know this, that the last uh, ascending service that we had up at Richmond, Virginia, we sent 42 missionaries out. And Darla, how many would you say about a third of them faces were blacked out because yeah. more, maybe more than that a third of them were faces blacked out their names were changed to protect the innocent right. and uh, uh, they, they're going into places that we find it very difficult I'm being honest with you folks we, we've got missionaries out there tonight that we really need to be praying for they're, they're, they're serving in some pretty pretty dangerous places when I was a student at Southeastern and I did my work in missions there uh, we were uh, aware of some students that had enrolled that apparently were agents of the Chinese government, and they kept an eye on our students, see where they would go. Now, it's interesting, the Chinese came to us, and came to the IMB and asked for help with teaching English. At the same time, you know, they go back and forth with their way of thinking. At the same time, they would send students and sometimes many of them Christians, mm -hmm. to the campus to report back to the communist To report government. back. You know, one of the things I want to remind us about here, God has placed us in a unique position being in Athens, Georgia. I think you all still host the international ministry. About a year and a half ago, maybe uh, just before we redirected, um, I had in my home one night our college students, our leadership, and uh, some of our college students have been working with five Muslim young men from Middle East, Saudi Arabia, four of them were from Saudi Arabia. They came to our home. And we changed things around a little bit. My wife and I shared our testimonies of how we came to know Christ and what the difference Christ made in our life and, and, and this kind of thing. And when we asked for questions, the only one that asked a question was a Saudi Arabia Muslim young man. And all I'm saying is we have opportunities right here in our city. I know we have a Korean ministry and a Hispanic ministry, and I know you all with the international ministry here. We have opportunities. God is bringing the world to Athens, Georgia, and we need to get that on our heart. These are opportunities for us to minister to folks and to reach out to people from all over the world that come here. And uh, it, it's just an amazing thing to me that, that God has opened the door for so many to come here that we can reach out to and help. By the way, a lot of the couples that go to the mission field career for long term, 
many of those have been involved in international ministries in their churches in the city where they are. They've already been working with Muslims for two years or three years. And they've already been working with Asians. And so when they go, they've already had the privilege of learning their culture, a little bit of their language, and just loving on them. So it makes a difference. Opportunities are everywhere. We just got to take them. Y'all forgive me for taking so long, but I, I do want y'all, if you're interested in what our positions are on Scripture and our positions on things, the Foundations magazine is what you want to pick up. The other thing is, I, I, want, you, I want you to pick this up before you leave here tonight. I want each, y'all, you young people, get one of these, and then read it carefully. Go ahead. Brother Bill, I appreciate you coming tonight. Uh, I was curious if there's a way that we can give Online to IMB? Uh, yeah, imb.org. Do. You can even Google. <laughs> Believe it or not, you can Google IMB, and they'll tell you about the history and a little bit about us and everything, you know. And uh, it's, uh, uh, it's pretty much open. On Facebook, for example, you can get prayer requests and things, but you can get online and go to imb.org, and then there are a varied number of ways that it will take you. And if you're interested, you can also get involved in... Uh, maybe pursuing missions in some area or something. We've had, uh, in, our, in our church at Prince, I guess, what, 25, 30 kids go out with a journeyman program. And it's been exciting. They've gone all over the world. And some of them have come back and gone to seminary and back out on the field. So that's exciting to me to know that God can use all these different ways and means of getting people to go. That's good. Uh, if, there's, if there's nothing else, mm, I just want to close by just saying, th just remember three simple words. Pray, give, and go. It's very simple. And the other thing is, remember, tonight, as we're sleeping somewhere in the world, our people are on the front lines, the cutting edge of sharing the gospel with people that are in darkness yeah. and need Jesus. Uh, you know, I, I want to have the heart that God has. I want to have the heart that our Lord had when he was here. I want to have the heart of what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in people's lives, convicting, bring righteousness and judgment before them so that they can know they need Christ. And so, folks, I just pray that when you get through at the end of December, January, whenever you cut things off, it'll be the best mission offering you've ever given, and more people will be praying than ever before uh, about our work where we are. Thank you for the privilege of being with you tonight. And please come by and pick up the, the pamphlets. The boxes are heavy. And if you'll take some of those home, they won't be quite as heavy when I go back to my car. But you need them. And thank you, David, so much for allowing me the time here with you. Thank uh, you. Let's show Brother Bell our appreciation, would you? Great.